every Wednesday, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. A show about endurance, human performance, and what it really means to feel alive and present. Presented to you by Javier Pineda. So anyways, we're coming down from a 23,000-foot mountain. Well, what comes in? This major fog comes in, okay? With all due respect, I took the wrong way. Instead of going right, I went left. And I'm telling you exactly, I should have gone right to get to where the high camp was, our camp. Instead, I, I went left. So I made, I made a mistake. And this is going back a long time ago, but I made a mistake. We ended up going down into another camp, and then I had to reverse and come back up again. Well... What am I going to do? And what we used to do, I don't know if I ever shared the story with you. No. We used to, we used to start drinking at the base of the mountain. And don't, don't get me wrong. There's, it's not for shits and giggles. It was for a real specific reason. Welcome to one more episode of the Endurance Cartel podcast with the one and only my former colleague from uh, the back in the days of CrossFit Endurance, which was, whoosh, what, 12 years ago or something, something like that. But the one and only Paul DeAngelis. And Paul his, has been a longtime coach, a longtime professional mountain climber. He's a father. He's a very, very good friend of mine. I mean, it's the cool thing about Paul is I can pick up right where we left off. And uh, he's more knowledgeable than I could ever think of when it comes to anything, especially when it comes to mountain climbing. And this is what we're going to talk about. Paul, welcome to the Endurance Cartel. How you been, my man? Long time. Javi, man, it's great to be here. Great to talk to you, catch up a little bit before we went live uh, on, on the podcast. You know, and you're right. It's just like picked up right where we left off. It's funny, man. I'll just give you a little, a little, you know how, you know how Facebook has these, um, these memories pop up. Well, guess what memory popped up? It was the first time I met you was, I think was in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, that was a crazy course. The things that we had to deal with, cause we had like so many attendees at the seminar and that's where I first met you. And that came up today. And I thought, how fitting was that? Because that was, that was part of our journey together, which, which brought us we met at the CrossFit Endurance. Yeah. We were we were teaching seminars. I had Brian on the podcast and uh, going down memory lane with Brian and just saying, it's like, man, remember the days that there was a point that CrossFit Endurance had even more attendees than the regular CrossFit uh, certifications. And um, I don't know what it is now because, I mean, I've long detached from uh, whatever CrossFit is, but there were fun times. One of the things I appreciate from CrossFit is meeting guys like yourself, like uh, Brian, and uh, so many others that I've uh, I've kind of like disappeared in a way. But I mean, it's just great that you're still around, man. I at the beginning I thought that you were still in Canada. Now you live in Costa Rica. Yeah, and uh, you, my friend, have are are just from what I hear, you're training a lot of people, man. From what I understand, on variety of things, not just mountain climbing. Tell me about you, man. Tell me what, what are you doing in Costa Rica? Why Costa Rica? And, uh, well, Canada is just too cold, man. I was, I was there in, I was there last year and it's way too cold and it was, it was not even winter. Yeah. It's, it's, well, you know what I tell it's people. It's a beautiful people, country. 
It's beautiful, man. <laughs> beautiful. It'll always be my home. You know, I, there's, there's so many, there's so many reasons why I left. We, we had some of the most ridiculous, this is a whole rabbit hole we can go down, which I don't think your, your, your listeners want to hear me rant about, but I mean, Canada, Canada got hit hard with lots of lock, COVID lockdowns. Oh yeah. We got hit like one of the hardest in the world. I sort of got fed up, uh, with a lot of that. And, you know, me and my wife have always been very adventuresome people. I took stock of a lot of things in my life and I said, man, you know, time flies. This is, this is one of the biggest takeaways. Time flies. And I said to her, I said, you know, we've been successful in so many ways with, with our family, friends, built business and, um, success in, in the businesses. And I said, what are we doing? I said, let's go, let's go have an adventure. And so we looked at, I remember it was in 2020, we started looking at that sort of the height of the, the COVID, COVID, uh, era. And so we started looking at that 2021 came around and I started making a list of the countries I would live in Costa Rica being one of them. And so when you're making, when you're making a big move, when you're going to move your family, you have to do a lot of things. And this is, this is part of preparation that, you know, as a coach, when it comes to yourself, when it comes to athletes, for me as a coach, for me as a mountain guide, preparation is massive, mm. is massive. So I didn't make the jump lightly. I didn't make the decision lightly. And so there was a lot of preparation. And so we picked Costa Rica for many different reasons. We picked it for, for obviously the climate. So this is insane because on the one side of my house, I have a jungle. On the other side of my house, I have the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. You know, like it's uh -huh. it just, it's mind blowing to, to me. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is the sustainability of this country here. You know, we have so much fruit and, and, and availability. And so I looked at all these different things that could happen to the world and still could happen to the world. And I said, Costa Rica sounds pretty good. I looked at the financial systems. I looked at their history, Javi, you know, I looked at their, their, their history as far as do they have a lot of civil war? You know, I looked at all these different things and I said, Costa Rica checks pretty much all of it. And for my daughter too, you know, and for my wife, my daughter, is it going to be a good place to live? And then where do we go in Costa Rica? It's not a big country compared to Canada geographically. So anyways, long story short, we, we picked Costa Rica. I looked at Argentina. I looked at Italy. I even looked at Florida too, was being one of the states I would potentially move to in the U.S. But we decided to make the move. And I got to tell you, man, like I'm eight months in and we're, we're really loving it. And when I say we're loving it, uh, that means my family. So that's, that's important to me as the, as the father and and the husband and so on, my friend. So I love it. It's middle of January. And if anybody understands Canada, middle of January, it's dark Sucks and it's ass. cold. And I'm not adverse <laughs> to the cold, but I got to tell you, this is, this is un unbelievable being down here, man. I surf three times a week. It's great. Look at you, man. I, I love hearing this. I just want uh, the listeners to understand this, but so one of the, I remember our second trip, the, there was to Madrid, Spain. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That was a, that was a, a gem of a trip. <laughs> but in, in this, <laughs> but here's the, so here was the, the, the whole thing. I was the only Spanish speaking of our team and, uh, here was Paul and there was this other American dude that was supposed to be the head coach. He says to me, Hey, Javi, listen, since the majority of our attendees, I think it was the biggest, uh, attendee, uh, international attendee seminar we had at the time you're going to be doing the talking or the translation. I'm like, that is a bad idea. Spanish in Spain is a whole different thing. It's not the same Spanish as it is in El Salvador or even Mexico or even anywhere. Spanish is different. How different can it be? Just do it. 
It's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. All right. I start talking and it must have been three or five minutes in and everybody was laughing. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? Why is everybody laughing? And it just turns out that everything I was saying was a curse word for them, or <laughs> it was something explicit, or it was something on my on their genitalia, or <laughs> something about it. It was just a crash and burn thing. Yeah. But now I'm I, I love that you're actually now you understand that after all these years that Spanish is completely different in Spain or anywhere else. Hey, you remember elsewhere that where that trip went out that went like backwards too? We got all got food poisoning that Saturday oh, yeah, night. No, I was I was in like I don't, I I had to leave early. I I caught a plane early and I had to go back home. That's right. Yeah, it was it was an insane that 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 trip was it was a massive trip. And I remember having to teach day two. You know, it, anybody that's had food poisoning understands it's it's you, you don't feel well. You're just you just want to curl up in the fetal position. But but uh, man, that was. I remember going to the Real Madrid game. Um, that was that yes. was that was amazing. Yeah, we went to the Real the Madrid game. Yeah, man. Match. Yeah, you see, I mean, good things happened. Anyways, it, it was it was something. I think me, you, will never forget. It sucks that that the other guy had to be there, but I mean, if it would have been you and me, I mean, it, it would have been yeah. a whole different thing. Sure. But it, it was it was such a great experience being in a Real Madrid the stadium in yeah. the original stadium, watching yeah. Ronaldo play. Oh, it yeah. was it was a kick ass. It, it was a kick ass trip. Yeah, 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 and. Let me ask you, now that you brought it up, when it comes to food poisoning and all these things, I mean, because since I, since I contacted you and since actually, even before that, Connie being my, my aunt and uh, that she trains with you, she loves mountain climbing. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just got to dig into more mountain climbing stuff and see what it is. Because more and more people are hiking or doing expeditions or just traveling the world. And this is, this is what we're talking about different places right now, traveling the world, doing hikes. I don't know. It's uh, maybe there, there's different reasons. Apparently there's a sensational, uh, there's just the experience of it. Some people, they just want to use it as a cross training kind of tool. Some people, they just want to get aerobically fit nowadays. I mean, what do you, what, what have you seen? What have you, in your experience when people contact you, Hey, Paul, listen, I want to climb Everest per se. I want, or I want to go, yeah. Uh, the Alps, like that's my mother-in-law. She, she grew up in the Alps and she, she hiked. I mean, like she, if she doesn't, I don't, I think if she doesn't walk 30 kilometers a day, she'll go crazy. <laughs> so it's, you no, know, it's, it, it's broken up into a couple of different groups of people that, that contact me, you know? And, and so group, group let's, let's say group one can be a very troublesome group because like anything, the world of trekking and getting into climbing some of the highest mountains in the world becomes almost like attaining your trophy case. You see, mm -hmm. you have, you have people that they contact me and they'll say things like, uh, I want to climb the seven summits. Okay. What's the seven summits? The seven summits are the highest mountains in each of the seven continents of the, of the world. So okay. that becomes a trophy case to them. So they become, they go on it for that reason to attain, uh, that like, like anything, uh, in our consumer world here, it's like the more things I have, the better it makes me feel. Right. So why do I say that's a troublesome group? Because they're not doing it for the most authentic reasons, so to speak. They don't even really understand what, what, why they're doing it. Now, am I, am I totally against bringing them on as a client? Not necessarily because part of, part of the journey of mountain climbing is finding 
who you are in the middle of a journey. Mm. So sometimes when you start up journey, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You don't even know why you're doing it sometimes, but it's instinctual. So you, you start taking the first step and then 10 steps in, 100 steps in, 1,000 steps in, 10,000 steps in, you start realizing, wow, this is bringing something amazing out of me and it can change. Mm. And then the other group of people that contact me to climb some of the highest mountains in the world, they're doing it for reasons of like, I want to learn a little bit more about who I am. Now, I love that because, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're just like, I think I'm stuck in my everyday job. You know, my, my, my marriage is not so good. I, I don't have this great, uh, you know, it's all these different things. They come to me, they come generally with some kind of, of reasoning that it, something in their life is not fitting in well. And, and so they need some kind of um, exposure to nature, some exposure to what I call the major challenge. You know, they need that in their life to sort of catapult them into their, their next phase of their life. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I find that those are the two groups of people that tend to come because adventure travel really started to, to take off, I think, in the late 90s and just over the millennium too. And then it tapered off into many different ways. I specialize in high altitude climbing. That's been my, that's why people hire me is because I have a, I'm, I'm good. I have experience. I have knowledge and wisdom when it comes to climbing the highest mountains in the world. How many years do you have climbing? Oh, since the mid nineties, mid nineties. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't say, see to me, when I say the mid nineties, it doesn't seem like that far. That no, far no. For us, it's, I mean, but it, it really is like 30 plus years ago. <laughs> it's 30 so, years. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I can say over a quarter of a century, you know, and so I could put a century uh -huh. into, into my, into my career. And so, you know, you look at that and thousands and thousands of people that help guide into different parts of the world. And man, it's, it's, it's the things I've seen. And I've seen some, I've seen some really, really uh, touching things too, where you get to see people really become emotional because they, they found something in their life to spark them to that next level. And, and, I've stayed in touch with so many people that they, uh, they, they've transformed their lives. I mean, as a coach and as a guide, what can you ask for? You can't ask for much more. Uh, but on the other side of it too, Javi, I mean, I've seen people die on mountains too. You know, when, when, when things happen on those big mountains, anytime you're dealing with nature and its ferocity and its true self, man, you can, you, if you're not prepared and if you're not willing to take those steps through, through what's needed, it can be a really tough world out there. There's truth to, to nature, you know, and mountains have always been my life. And I'm seeing the same thing where I'm living now because I'm venturing more into, into the ocean. And, and so it's the same thing. And so I understand it that way. So, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of professional surfers have come to me and asked me to train them now. So I'm training some professional surfers down in Costa Rica here, working on their weaknesses, making them better athletes, making them better people because it's a mindset most of the time. Champions have a certain mindset, you know? And so teaching them that you got, if you want to level up as far as an athlete, it's not your physical conditioning. That's just a part of it. It's, it's leveling up how you think. And so that's, that's where I've been exposing even myself because coaches need to be that perpetual student too. And so it's been fantastic the last year in getting out in the ocean, because I have experience in the ocean. I'm not going to say I'm a newbie, but it's really now that, that next level of exposure that I'm getting and learning, man, when those waves come in, you got to be able to read them. Just like, it, just like you do a route, just like I do a route that's in front of me. You know, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go back? Do I go forward? You know, you have to, you have to make those decisions in real time for the betterment of yourself and for the people you're guiding. So, 
Maybe I'll be a surf. Maybe when we do the next podcast together, I'll be your surf coach. Who knows? What, what do you know? Hey, you never know. <laughs> here's, but here's the interesting fact that you yeah. said that I feel that um, needs to be addressed. Also, that the fact that you've been in the mountains, you've been uh, basically having a relationship with nature for 30, 30 years. So that relationship with nature, of course, is going to translate to the ocean. How, I mean, the ocean is just going to behave in a, in, in a way that, okay, it's the weather and mountains and you kind of know how, kind of, you can read the weather without actually going into an application or something. No, you know that if it's going to rain or it's going to pour it, you, you can actually smell that. Yeah. You don't even have to see it anymore. Absolutely. Javi, you know, I've done many talks in front of people, um, in, in, in the context of, of mountain climbing for many years now, many decades. And one thing that people think that we are, that translates to probably anybody endeavoring into whatever part of nature, whitewater rafters, surfers, mountain climbers, it's all, it's all the same, but we're risk takers. And, you know, we're, we're not necessarily risk takers. We're risk managers is, is a better way to define it because there's always a risk. in when you wake up in the morning and you go out and, and you, outside of your house and, and you go whichever direction you have to in your day, there's always a risk to it. And so, but when you're in nature, you know, does that risk become magnified? Absolutely it does. But we're not necessarily, at least I'm going to speak for myself and my perspective on this is I don't look at myself as a risk taker. I look at myself as a risk manager. So when you're, when you're in the world of guiding people, mountain guiding, that's your job. And so having that level of professionalism is, is understanding what people want and need can be two different things. You usually as a professional have to give them what they need, even though they might not like it. And then throwing that into the world of, in the context of, of nature, and I mean the raw nature of being in the mountains or in the ocean or whatever it may be, you then have to determine and mitigate and manage risk as much as possible. So number one, they enjoy themselves. Number mm. two, they're kept safe. And number three, there's some sort of success in doing that, you see, and that they, they, they develop a confidence now that they were able to, to do this. And so going back, the, the type of people that come to me I have to be very careful on who who comes into the into the groups that we climb or we set up their trips for them because and who we choose to guide because if they're in that first group where it's just like that I want to get that trophy case what's the highest mountain in, in South America what's the highest mountain in North America what's the highest mountain in Europe what's the highest mountain in Asia and so on and it just becomes this level of of developing getting this this and, and expanding their trophy case. I worry about that because they're not authentic in understanding their connection to what nature is because nature can knock you off this mountain at any point. It's understanding our place in this world, our place in the universe. And I know that's a broad concept I'm talking about now, but it's understanding we're so small compared to the mountains. We're so small compared to the ocean. We're so small, respect it. And so even me, when I, when I fly into whatever country I'm flying into, be it Kathmandu, uh, be it uh, Mendoza, be it uh, you know Quito, be it um, wherever in the world, I I'm actually I take a an approach like, man, am I gonna am I gonna feel the altitude this time? Am I? I worry myself. This is what I'm trying to tell you. I actually worry myself, but I have to trust in in going back to what I said earlier. I have to trust in my preparation in my wisdom, in my knowledge, in my experience, that it's going to be able to get me through that unknown. Because that's what mountain climbing is. You know, it's, it's an absolute unknown. So it becomes a symbol for people. This is, this is what I do. This is what it is. It's a symbolic understanding of like, 
This is where you are in the world. Even though we have a set schedule, what day is it today? Today's Wednesday afternoon. Me and you are talking in real time. So what does that mean? Okay, we might have our schedules set, but there's still an unknown every day, you know? And when shit hits the fan, so to speak, this is the problem with people more and more I find today in real life, never mind in the mountains, they can't even cope when the shit hits the fan, so to speak. And, and so you want to climb a, a mountain where you're going to be cold all the time. You're going to be, you're going to be tired. You're going to be all these things. It's never an easy thing. And you're going to be, you want to be, put yourself there 24 seven. Yeah. Over a week, over two weeks, over three weeks. Who knows? Who knows? The higher you go, the more you have to acclimatize. So the longer the trip needs to be. And you want to do this? So yeah. they never sugarcoat anything. I'm very honest with people. I actually try to weed people out. If anything, I actually, that's been my approach as a guide. Mm -hmm. when people come to me, you know, what's it going to be like? Well, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. I, I try to give them the reality as much as possible and see where that falls with them. Even training with me, Abby, you know, I mean, you know what it's like, you, you know, where the adaptate, where does the adaptation occur? It occurs on that fine knife edge of, is it too much of a dosage or is it too little of a dosage? And when you, you as a coach can give the right dosage, then you're going to get what? You're going to get an adaptation, you see, and you're going to mitigate, you're going to mitigate the, the potential for injury and so on. See, this is, this is what we do even as mountain, mountain guides too. My hat as a coach and my hat as a got mountain guide are very similar. And, and I see the synergy between them. Like all things are connected. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. Let me ask you something. The first group. So. Mountain climbing physically has a lot of attributes. For instance, it strengthens a lot of your core. It's a total body workout. It's you work a lot on your upper body and your lower body as well as your balance and agility. Yeah. This is the, from the physical component. Then from, uh, I guess the mental component, how would, uh, so if somebody from Miami per se that we have no mountains, they want to say, Hey, Paul, listen, I want to be, uh, going to, X mountain that's whatever it is, I think might some, some something in Nepal per se, some, because yeah. I mean, for sake, getting that trophy. Yeah. And they're like, you know, I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to do the training. I'm going to go on the treadmill. Uh, it, so that city type of, uh, or city, I mean, it just takes me back to the movie city slickers for some reason. There has to be an understanding with nature. You have to be an understanding of what it is and not what you see on movies or National Geographic. So there has to be a real life kind of maybe go on, on a, like a few expeditions here and there for a few hours. Let me share a couple of stories with you because I think that will, that will give your listeners an understanding about, about how I approach what you're kind of saying. Cause I get what you're saying where, where I live in, where I lived most of my life in Canada. And when I, when I started mountain climbing adventures, my company, well, where did I live? I lived in just outside Toronto. Toronto is not a high altitude city, nor is it a high altitude country, you know? And so people would ask me like, why do you live, why do you live there as opposed to in the mountains, like out in British Columbia or Alberta, where we have the Rocky mountains. And so, you know, I said, well, this is my home and this is, this is where I choose to live. But to answer your question, Javi, you, you really can't going back to the early part of my career. And that's where I'm going to start these stories is, is I looked at this and said, I was so passionate about mountain climbing and, and, and then I found very early in, in my career that I was good at it. I, I had the genetic prowess. I, I didn't get altitude sickness and I'm talking climbing some of the highest mountains in the world. 
And I was able to develop a strength that other people didn't have and therefore be strong um, when other people were weak. Because essentially, as you go up higher in a mountain, people get weaker. You know, there's just, this is how it works. I mean, we can talk a little bit about the science behind it, but that's generally so not how to do it training. Works. Right. Right. Well, mm -hmm. I said to myself, well, how am I going to maintain that level consistently? So if I have to go out in a couple of weeks, how am I going to keep that warrior mindset? And looked at it as a warrior mindset. And so how I started to train Javi when I was, I remember I wasn't even married yet. I didn't have kids. I was living just outside of Toronto with a couple of roommates. And, you know, I would go, they, they would look at me and I would go out and train. So the winters in, in Toronto are, are really, they're rough. They're rough compared to the rest of the world. Well, when the weather would present the, the most difficult challenges, I would be out there training. And this is me personally. This is just, well, just so you understand. This is That's me what personally. I would always do myself as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would take my shirt off. I would take a layer off because my, my thought process was when, when the shit hits the fan up in the mountains. So when you reach a campsite, is it going to be always sunny and beautiful in the background? No wind? Not all the time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be windy. It's going to be, the winds are going to be blowing 100 miles per hour. And guess what you got to do? You can't just open the door to a hotel room and say, ah, uh, and lay in bed, you know, and then right. take a nice bubble bath. You can't do this. You've got to actually <laughs> set camp. You've got to set this stuff all up. And so as, as, a, as a head guide, people are going to look to who? The leader. Right. The, the tip of the spear, you know? And so I, I trained that way constantly in my early part of my career. So if there was a thunderstorm outside, I was outside training. Okay. Was it the smartest thing in the world to do? No, but that's how I looked at it. When the winds were the worst, I would get myself up and I would go outside and train. Whether that was going in my backyard, taking my shirt off, going barefoot, no gloves, no hat, and doing squats and lunges and push-ups and, and, and inchworms across my backyard in the, in the slush, in the mud, in the snow, 100%, because that's how I looked at, at the training, not the body, but training that, that strength and resilience in my mind mm -hmm, right. to be strong because, you know, remember something, we go into our air conditioned gyms, we go into our heated gyms, depending on the environment outside. We, we do all these things. We have these machines, we have this equipment, perfect barbells. Well, the world in, in altitude, in the world in the mountains, they're not, it's not perfect. You have rocks, you have snow, you have dust, you have wind, you have cold, you have heat. You have all the elements of nature being thrown at you sometimes. So you have to get outside that comfort zone much of the time. So that's, that's how, that's how I looked at it one way. And, and I would translate that sometimes to the training with, with the clients back in the old day. And then the other part of it that you alluded to is how are you going to get prepared? And, and this is a funny story, but how are you going to get prepared for the altitude? And, you know, and, and today's a little different because we have a lot more technology. So you can go to, there's places in Toronto and there's places around the world in the major metropolitan areas. I'm sure you have it even in Miami where they have, you can go and do, do hypoxic work. You know, you can go in, in on a bike, you can go on a treadmill and you're in this sealed room mm -hmm. and you can, tr and you can train that way. There's out, right. Altitude tents and whatnot, but not altitude masks. Those are completely, right, right. Yeah, those are completely, exactly. yeah, those are completely different. Yeah. That's right. They don't have that. And so, but, but uh -huh. not everybody has that ability to go to those, to those training facilities. And so one thing we used to do, <laughs> this is, this is a, this is a really funny story, interesting story. So I remember we used to go and, and, and train outside of Calgary and Calgary in Canada is, is the foothills basically to the Rocky mountains. It has a, it's a beautiful area, beautiful city. Uh, beautiful area and the Rocky Mountains are just fantastic. So we used to go out there in the winter 
to do some training work. And this is back in my early days as well. And what we used to do is we used to either pick the Olympic stairs. Calgary's hosted the Olympics a few times. So they have these, they have these stairs. I, I can't remember how many stairs there are. I mean, you can Google it and people can tell you, I really don't care. It's just that it was a lot of stairs. Um, or we used to do trails and stuff like that. We used to put up about 150 pounds on our back of, of simulated because that's what we needed to carry. And we used to go for at least 90 minutes to three hours. Okay. And, and train going up and down, up and down, very monotonous because, because mountain climbing is very monotonous. It's beautiful, but it can be very monotonous. It's one step after one step after one step, but the terrain can be monotonous. Mm -hmm. So that was one way of, of training. Well, the little spice that we added to that training hobby was we used to go and at the base of the, the stairs or the base of the trail, we used to bring a two, four of beer and, and different liquor. And what we used to do, I don't know if I ever shared the story with you. No, we used to, we used to start drinking at the base of the mountain and don't, don't get me wrong. There's, it's not for shits and giggles. It was for a real specific reason, because if any of your listeners have ever climbed at altitude, ah, I know what you're getting. One thing that they'll tell you is right, right. It's either, it's, it's almost like you're drunk yeah. Yeah. Okay? or it's almost like that hangover. And so us to be able to simulate the highest mountains in the world. Okay. Can you imagine now we used to train with, with 150 pound backpack on our back. Okay. We used to go at least a minimum of 90 minutes, if not three to four hours, we used to work our way up to longer. Okay. And we used to do it like just loaded. <laughs> okay. And we, and we mixed, we mixed liquor too on purpose. The, the, the bigger the mix, the harsher the reality of what nature would present to us. Okay. You, we've all probably known what it's like when you go to a bar in our, in our younger days, we used to do, and we used to mix shots. How'd you feel the next day? You felt like, how'd you feel man. in the moment, man? And then how'd Black you feel out. the next day? Right. You know, it, it would just take you out. Now, could you actually, could we, and so the reason that we used to do that is so that we could perform, that we could show our mental, our mental strength and push through. We, did we puke? all the time did we want to stop all the time I mean, you you would you just wanted to curl up and basically just go to bed and sleep but you see that's how we trained and so we used to do all these little tricks back in the day to simulate what it was going to be like because in reality that's what the highest mountains in the world presented they 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 presented this challenge to you and it wasn't just on a physical level it was a mental emotional level that's where it really took you to and it was asking yourself constantly, why the hell am I doing that? But there's a beauty in that question too, right? It's a question in, in even in the Ironman sport, which you thrive in, is like, you know, you're pushing yourself in that right dosage. Because when you start asking the question, what do you got to do next? You got to answer it, right? And so that's what, that's what we did with our training. And your training should always, always be that worst case scenario kind of thing. Right. You know, this, you know, you know yeah. where I'm going, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it in, 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 for the, for the, for the general populace of your, of your, um, of your viewers in the most basic way possible. But that's what we're trying to do is essentially that, you know, is exactly that we're trying to, the training, the training should outweigh what the sport is going to be. The training is going to outweigh what the, what, what nature can present, can present to us because then when you are presented with that, it doesn't seem as bad, you see, or you're mentally able to deal with it. And so that's what we used to do is that's how I looked at it. And then, and then 
you know, you can do step ups all day with a weighted vest. You can go for a three hour hike on a nice graded trail, whether it's going up or down, left and right, doesn't matter. But if you don't put in those other pieces of what nature could present, then you're never really simulating what it can be like. And so you have to taper that in the right, like I said, in the right dosage for people. You don't start people off by taking them to a thousand foot staircase and say, putting, you know, 50 pounds on their mm-hmm. back. They were, let's get loaded now and let's do this simulation here. It's going to turn people off, <laughs> you know? And so you, you, you have to, you have to understand who your clients are and you have to understand what, where they're going in their endeavor. I worry when people call me up and say, Hey, I want to climb Everest. Okay. Well, what kind of experience do you have? Well, I have none, ex- no experience. Ah, so you want to take, I want, you want me to take you to the Olympics essentially. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Start here. Start here. Are you successful there? Great. Then you're going to go here. Are you successful there? Because so many people, when they, when they are here, even if they succeed, they're like, that was insane. I've now achieved what I wanted to achieve. I'm either going to go lateral or I'm just going to enjoy the life, my life from here on out and never do anything like that again. You see, that was a once in a lifetime for me. Right. And then you do have the other people that are like, Paul, what's next? Paul, what's next? Paul, what's next? And you have to, you have to determine that as a guide too. You don't just say, okay, Hey, pay this bill. I'll send you the invoice, set the date. And we're going to go to Everest. No, you have to make sure they have the right capacity, not just physically, you know, these people, they think it's just a physical endeavor. When you're, when you're in nature, man, if you're not strong between the ears, good luck to you. We're amen to that. But then again, we live in an era right now that it, we want that instant gratification and the we are so consumed with, I got to achieve this. I want to be the first of this. I want to be this. And I honestly, it's if anything Ironman taught me was that obviously it may sound tacky to some people, but it's just the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And Ironman's for those for the listeners, I mean, listeners should know about now. I mean, after so much talk about Ironmans, but Ironman consists of 2.4 mile swim, okay. 112 miles on the bike, and 26.2 mile run. It's a long, long day, and it's a problem solving day. So your aerobic fitness can only take you so much before your head starts creeping in, and your head is if Radio Javier is constant chatter and that negative chatter just starts getting louder and louder and louder. It's going to be very tough for me to finish. No, no, it doesn't matter how aerobically fit I am. It's, um, so the mind games, I can only imagine when you're going up a mountain like Everest per se, because a lot of people been wanting to do, I want to do it for my 50th birthday or I want to do it for, and, uh, Nothing ever, nothing good ever comes out of that. There's stress fractures, there's death, there's all types of crap. I mean, have you ever had a client that, not, a, I mean, wouldn't say a client, but I mean, maybe a situation where you witnessed somebody I have. being in a very, very, I mean, horrible situation that you're like, dude, this is, I mean, nothing can ever prepare you for such a thing. Yeah. I was, <clears throat> I was, I was on Everest back in, um, 96. I was working as a guide. And if anybody understands that year, that, that year with the significance to that mountain, to Mount Everest, it's, it's, it's been written, it's been filmed. It's John Krakauer wrote a a bestseller called Into Thin Air. Yes. I've heard about that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hollywood has done multiple movies on that book. 
and what happened that year. And just to give you an idea, okay, so essentially, and I'll be quick on that, is is that year, uh, how many people passed? Um, I, think, I think like over 20 people died on one night on Everest because Shit. of storm in okay? And <clears throat> it, the, because people pay so much money to climb Mount Everest, there's a certain level of expectation from the clients relative to the guides. Okay, so I'm paying you $100,000, whatever it may be, I'm just throwing out a run number. I'm going to pay you a hundred grand to, to, to be, to, to join your group. And there's a lot of expenses, of course, being, being a, an outfitter, but I'm going to pay you a hundred grand. Their level of expectation for you to get them to the top is pretty high. Okay. Mm-hmm. When it comes with that kind of a price tag, that's the perception of, of the, the, the clientele. Okay. Because to climb Everest, you have to have some kind of financial ability to do that unless you have sponsors and so on. Okay. But the other part of it is then you have a bunch of people that because they have the financial ability to do so, they're able to pay the bill, but they're not able to pay the bill because they don't have the experience that goes with being in that level of nature. Because the reason why people want to climb Everest, Javi, is very simple. It's the highest mountain in the world. Mm. There's a trophy, a built, there's, a, there's, there's a certain, put, if you could put that trophy, and I'm not saying you get a trophy, but if you could put that trophy on your fireplace mantle, that, that says something about you that you've done, accomplished something pretty amazing in your life. Right, right, right. Uh, all right. So, but then see, this is the problem that comes with that is, is that, is that they're not physically able to deal with what happens. And so what happened was the monsoon came in pretty early that year and it knocked the guides that were potentially pushing their clients to go up a little higher when they shouldn't, when the guides should have said, let's go back. Let's take a step back because that's where your understanding of where you are. And I touched upon that earlier in our conversation is where we are as humans and where the mountains are, it's not the same level and you have to be able to respect that. Okay. And so sometimes you have to take a step back. I've never climbed every mountain. And even that year, Javi, I didn't, I didn't make it to the summit because going fast forwarding, I was about a week ahead before that disaster happened. And I was on the North side of Everest. And that happened on the South side and the Nepal side. I was on the Chinese side and I turned my client away from the summit and we were maybe, I, I'm going to say 400 meters from the summit. Now that doesn't sound like a lot because somebody can go run 400 meters in a minute and a half. Okay. But this was going to take probably another two hours to get this guy to, to the, to the summit being 400 meters from the top. That's being at that extreme altitude. It was just, uh, a, um, an insane process. And so I also started recognizing signs, even though he was on oxygen, that there was that fine line of, if he waited another hour, the level of hypoxia that was going to develop from this guy, I was, I was, it was not going to be an easy world. And then where am I? I'm in the middle of nowhere. And how do I get this guy down? You can't call a, an ambulance helicopter to come and airlift you up. Right. Not there. So you have to take stock what's happening. And so going back to this, this, this time when all of these bad things happened, I brought my client down. So instead of having that summit on my belt or on his belt, he has his life now, as opposed to 20 plus people that don't, what's the price tag to that? How many people did that affect of those 20 plus people that passed in that, in that year? Well, how many people, how many of those people had spouses and kids and family and so on that that affected negative negatively as well. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a butterfly effect, you know, a butterfly flaps his wing on the other side of the world. And a hurricane develops on, uh, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. So 
you have to be really conscious of the effect that you have because as a guide, people are trusting their life with you. And so that comes down to, again, going back to why I train so harshly. People say, oh, that's harsh, man. And I'm like, well, that's what you got to be able to do. And then you have to be able to make, going back to what I said earlier, am I going to be a risk taker or a risk manager? Well, a mountain guide should be, a mountain climber or a mountain guide should be a risk manager. You mitigate your risk based on that risk reward. Everything in life is like that. Even in the financial world, when you make investments and so on, well, are you going to mortgage your house and put it all into this one stock? And yeah, it might turn out fantastic. It might be a sunny day and you, and you, and you take, uh, you know, you take a hundred thousand dollars and you turn it into a hundred million dollars. Great. But then how many people have you heard have got done the same thing and gone to zero? You see? Yep. So, you know, you have to be a risk manager as far as I'm concerned. Okay. And you have to, and that's what, what I try to it, it educate people on when it comes to the world of, of mountain climbing is exactly that. And Everest is the biggest showcase. But the sad thing is, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, the guides that little guys that just basically take you up, they're being paid X amount of money. And you just said that people have high expectations on, let's say, a hundred grand. And they're like, hey, son of a bitch, you're going to take me to the summit if I have to die. But you're like, listen, this is, I mean, you got to understand that I'm here to guide you and keep you with life at the end of the day, Bet. not just give you that trophy at my, ex my, my own expense or at my life, my life ex expense. So it's, it's quite a, a, a dilemma in a way, because I mean, it's, there's a, a, the client must, is expecting all these things, but then again, you're, you just want to preserve their life while still them having quote unquote, an enjoyable time and experience. Because that's all it is, an experience. But see, this is what I'm talking about. You see, look where, look where I am today, okay? If I would have been in that same position, and, and I'm not saying I make the right decisions all the time. I, I screw up all the time. But you see, you see, but let me put it to you this way. You have two really experienced guys that were my colleagues on that mountain the same year that I was there. They, those two guys passed away with their clients, okay? So that's, that's massive. They're no longer guiding. Okay. So you look at, see, this is the problem. You kind of mentioned it. You broached it already. You see, we're in a, we're in a time now where people want immediate results. And that's always been the case with Everest. So people don't look at the macro. You understand? And so right. I actually made a, a viable business out of it. I'm still there for my family. I was able to make a successful business out of it. I'm sitting here in my home in Costa Rica today, today, enjoying life as I should be. As, as we all should be, where that didn't happen just from a choice. You see how magnified a choice right. can yep. be in the world of mountain climbing. You see, even in the world of the gym, as we as coaches, you know, sometimes we have to understand that big pay ticket because a person comes in and they're like, oh, I want to pay for a hundred sessions up front. Well, that might be a mistake. You understand? Because, you know, you just, you look at the immediate dollar figure and we figure awesome. Business is based on long-term longevity because we train people to be the best for the rest of their life, be it 20, 30, 40, 50 and up. You, you want to have a sustainable effect on a person. Okay. And so unfortunately, and I made a video on this on, on one of my, on one of my, I think it was my Instagram. I basically was making a video about like how happy I am that we're living in 2023. And that might be a surprise to some people because, you know, the world is, is in a tumultuous place right now, economically, politically, so on. It, it's not in the best place right now. But out of 
bad places come great things. That's my outlook. And so, and I said in the video, and I said, we live in a time where we can use our technology. You see, people today, they use their technology to swipe and and scroll and just Mm -hmm. mindlessly go through things. And that's why they don't, that's why they have this immediate, they they want this immediate gratification uh, from whatever they do, because things are given to them so easily. And if you go back and I was, and I was talking about people that were born in the 1960s and 1970s and 1980s, that's me. I was born in that era. And you know, we, you have to work hard. You have to work for everything that you succeeded in or you failed and you learned from that. You would just continue to, to trudge forward. Well, we need a little bit of that mindset with the technology that we have today. Javi, how can you not be successful in this world today? Because you know, to, to research things in the past, you had to walk to the library or drive to the library to research things and develop. Right. Now you have the worldwide internet and you have almost, and I'm not saying all the information is authentic and accurate, but that's where your common sense comes in. But we have this ability to have almost everything. All I have to do is open up my Mac, put on my phone, search something, and I can have a multitude of information that I can start to research on. And so this is where people need to understand the world of being in, the mountain climbing world, instead of being that person that says, what's the highest mountain? Oh, okay, I can, I can pay that bill. What are you doing to really research what's entailed by that? And that's part of my job too, is to really educate people. So when I get that phone call, right, or that email, and, and I get on the phone and I do a Zoom call with somebody wherever they are in the world, it's like I, I have to get down and I have to, to differentiate what exactly is starting to, to, what's their why? Why do they want to do this endeavor? Are they really prepared for what is going to happen? And no matter how I sugarcoat it or how I don't sugarcoat it, you know, the experience is still a part of it. They have to go through that, but I still have to weed people out. And again, like I said at the beginning, I think I've gotten very good at weeding people out in my time, whether they're going to train with me or whether they're going to climb with me or a combination of it. I have to be able to weed people out because that's one thing I've developed as a coach and as a guide in my life is I'm very intolerant. More no, so. you know, I think I, you become picky and you can smell, no. you can smell bullshit yes. from a mile away. And who's, no. who's uh, soliciting you for, for your services? Okay. This guy, you know what? Uh, no way. I don't want to do you know what it. I, you can, you can call so-and-so they might even might be able to help you. Right. I can't do it right now. Right. And if I were to, if I'm here in Miami right now and I will be asking you, Hey Paul, listen, yeah, I want to start training for this climb. What do you think? What? So let's say. Do you have certain requirements besides the why, besides the the reasons for doing such a climb? Would you tell me, it's like, all right, Javi, listen, you want to start mountain climbing? I suggest we start with, let's say, X mountain. I don't know which mountain would you put a beginner to through, but here are the five requirements I need from you right now. What would it, what would you say? What would you say to me? Well, yeah, first of all, first of all, you, you do, if, if a person has no experience like yourself, let's say mm-hmm. in a high altitude, then I would, I would give you a list of mountains around the world that are very attainable for the beginner because you need to see how you do at altitude. Of course. Okay. Right. Uh, so you, st- you need to really start there. So a person has to come in and say, well, where are you looking to go? So let, let me give you an example of an introductory big mountain, Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro in the cent- the the central east part of Africa in the country of Tanzania is is the highest mountain in Africa it's a big mountain javi big mountain and it stands alone so you know that's where i have most people start now if they enjoy that trip 
and they do well in that trip, then, you know, you have to look at it different things. There's the accessibility of a mountain. Well, how hard or easy it is to get to. You, is Kilimanjaro a lot easier to get to than it is to Mount Vincent in Antarctica? Hell yeah. You know, think about the logistics right. to get there. Okay. Right. And then, and then how realistic, because they're basically around the same altitude, but one is based in, in Antarctica and one based in Central East Africa. One has daily flights from Europe right into Kilimanjaro International Airport, and then 40 minute drive, you're at the base of the mountain. How easy is that? You see? How much time does it take for somebody to acclimate to altitude? That depends on the mountain. So for example, like if we use that example of, of Kilimanjaro, 19,000. So let's say just under 6,000 meters, 6,000 meter mm -hmm. is a big mountain. And so we, we use about seven days up and down on a mountain like that. Okay. Can you do it faster? Can you do it longer? Of course, that's the sweet spot. So as a mountain guide, we have to determine the sweet spot of every mountain. Then you take a mountain like, um, uh, Aconcagua. Aconcagua is the highest mountain in the world outside the Himalayas. It's based in Argentina on the border of Chile and Argentina, one of my favorite mountains. And uh, it's it's a 7,000 meter peak, okay? Okay. That takes about, well, two to three weeks to climb. So you see where I'm kind of going with that? Yeah. You yeah. have to, you, you, you then have to, this is where the research comes in. Then you have to talk to an, a, a so-called expert like myself that has experience in altitude climbing and say, all right, realistically, how long is this going to take? And I'm going to give you a little short story here of, of exactly sort of connecting a few things that we've talked about today. I'm at, uh, I'm in Toronto. I'm in my hometown of Oakville, just outside of Toronto at a Christmas party. And I think it was maybe beginning of December. And I was about three weeks away from going on, on a leading expedition down to Aconcagua. Okay. So this okay. big ass mountain and my group was all set. We had done some work. We did some winter camping already. They've gotten to know each other. I've shown them what it's like to camp and set up tents and carry their heavy equipment and, and what kind of food we were going to simulate. I kind of put that together in a little trip out in the north part of Canada. And so I felt comfortable. All right, my group is ready to go. And so this guy comes up to me and, and he's like, hey, Paul. And he's, he was a friend of, uh, he, he was, he was married to a friend of mine and he's like, Paul, okay. he's like, uh, I hear you're going to Argentina to climb Aconcagua in, in three weeks, just after Christmas. And I said, uh, yeah, I said, looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm always happy to be in back in the mountains. And he's like, well, I'd like to join the trip. And I, and I, and so I look at him and I said, I said, well, do you, do you know this mountain? And I, he says, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a high mountain and I'm fit and I think uh, I'm good. See all these guesses, guesses. I think I'm this and I think I'm that. You have to understand the verbiage he's using. So I said, I said, look, I said, look, I said, my group is ready to go. I said, uh, with all due respect. And I, and I remember saying these words, this is going back maybe 15 years ago. And I said, I still remember this, this interaction. And I said, look, I said, the mountain is always going to be there. Hit me up next year. And you can look to, to work with me and, and we can do this. And he says, no, 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 I don't think you understand. He says, I'll pay you double what your fee is. I want to do it okay. now. Right. And I, and I said, and I said, look, I said, it does, it doesn't work that way. You see red flags are going up in my yeah. head. When yeah. a person's just talking financial, then I'm like, okay, now you're trying to buy this, this mountain. And right. I said, nature doesn't work that way. And then he, <laughs> uh -huh. he, he went up, he, I think he went up three times. He's like, look, I'll pay you three times what your cost is. Uh, is that a profitable day? Of course, it's a profitable day. So I said to him, I said, look, it's not going to happen. I said, my group is already fine-tuned. Then I'm going to throw you in. 
No, it's just going to throw things off. Right. I've been in enough expeditions to understand group dynamics is very important. Okay. Especially the positivity of the group. And I have to keep that forward all the time. Anyways, Javi, I'm, I'm, uh, I said no. And I said, look, you want to do this with me? We can do it another year, but no, it's not going to happen this year. So he was not happy with my answer. Funny enough, I end up going down to Argentina with my group. And I find out he was there a week earlier. Okay. Wow. He okay. contracted some local guides. Okay. He flew from Toronto down to, down to Mendoza. He, he met his guides. He went up the mountain. He made sure that he paid them extra so they can actually move the trip ahead because he had to be back in Toronto for business. Okay. Taking totally out of context, the basic rule of, of acclimatization is time. Time right. in the mountains is going to give you, and, and too long is not good either. And we can talk about that later, but you need to have that sweet spot. Anyways, he was pushing his guides to get done faster because he wanted to get back to his business in Toronto. And so long story short, I find out he made it to base camp, collapsed lung, and had to be helicoptered back into Mendoza. Holy shit. From base camp. So he just even made it to base camp. He didn't even make it really on the mountain. He just made it to the base of the mountain, collapsed lung, had to be helicoptered back to Mendoza. And then once he was stabilized, was he eventually able to fly back home to, to, to Canada? You know, and I'm looking at this saying, you see, you idiot, you know, you didn't take into account all these things. Little things. Little things. And so I'm so happy that, that, that I said no to this guy because, you know, you got to be authentic to your reason why. And again, it goes back to macro vision. Well, would that been, because I would have taken three times what I was charging on that immediate moment, that micro moment, would that made me happy? Maybe. But then. If, if I had that reputation of being that person that just took anybody because of a price tag, how would my business have, have succeeded macro-wise? You see what I mean? Not only that, but putting everybody at risk. At risk. You see, so there's, there's all these layers that go down to making tough choices and going back to what I said about being a risk manager. And so it's, it's an amazing world. And, and so going back to you, this is something that when you're, when you're choosing Choosing the right people to come on these trips. Kilimanjaro can be almost for everybody. You know what I mean? Intro trips can be almost for everybody. And then you can start to see where they go from there. It's my belief that if you do it right and you have some level of preparation as far as the training goes. So I give people a, I give people a training program to follow. I, I like it to be about almost a half, a, year, a half year in advance because mm-hmm. there's a lot of preparation, getting the equipment right. that they need, their personal equipment getting the training in. And so from there, you know, these are all things that I prepare. And funny enough, Javi, people think that the, 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 the metabolic conditioning piece is the most important because they look at it as an endurance concept. Right. But the yes. strength piece is just as important as the conditioning piece, basically, because you have to make sure that your ligaments and your tendons that surround those joints are well, they're strong to take the rigors of, of whatever terrain you're going to come up across. And so, you know, selecting a program based on, on mountain climbing, a lot of strength has to go into it. And, and we used to talk about that in the old CrossFit endurance days too, how endurance athletes had to train strength, you know, as opposed to just, you know, long, long bike rides and, and, and long runs and long swims. And that paradigm shifted quite a bit because their longevity was, was able to be sustained for longer periods of time. Mountain climbing is the exact same world. Do you have to take into consideration the conditioning piece? Of course you do. But the 
just as is important if not as is important is the is the the strength uh priority as well and so that's something that becomes very important as well so you know all those things but that's something that your listeners need to understand too is when you when you when you're in tackling a big expedition like this multi-day and uh and and the days are not short you know most days on a mountain even like kilimanjaro they average sometimes six to seven hours and then a summit day can be 12 hours man like where, where do you train for that? You know, that, 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 that's a tough, and unless, unless they've done Ironman training, then they've never really understood what it's like to train eight hours in a day. So they have to be prepared for that to some level. Not only that, I mean, like I said, cause I was, I was thinking back in the day, uh, I must've been my second Ironman or third. I can't really remember, but for some reason I was going through the bike and then all of a sudden there was no guides. I mean, you just have these people just getting you to, all right, turn here, turn there. So I went, there was, I mean, I supposed, I was supposed to do a turn and I kept going. So I, long story short, I was lost. I panicked. I'm like, fuck, where the fuck am I? Am I here? Am I here? And I just saw from a long road ahead, there was uh, still people going in, but I could not find that road that took me back in. So I managed to get my way in and get myself back in the race. I don't know where I was. So I was just thinking to your to your settings of have you ever gotten lost and panicked or have you or has anybody and maybe if you did and you kept your cool but maybe one of your your uh the people that you were guiding they're like paul where are we are we paul what the fuck where paul i have kids and they start stressing out and you're like yo listen we're okay we're just kind of deviated away but we'll make it because anybody that knows Airplanes, when they fly, they, an airplane will always deviate a bit before it gets to their destination. Right. That's right. But then they won't get lost, of course. But I mean, it's, um, how do you handle that? I was laughing while you were asking the question because there's a distinct memory that I have. And I was on a high mountain. It was actually an Aconcagua. I've guided that mountain multiple, multiple times. So I have lots of stories from there. But I was, I was, we were, we were coming down from a summit. And so you have to understand when you come down from a summit, the clients are, absolutely gassed like and, and you have to and you have to be able to manage the time from from the summit back down to the high camp as best as possible okay because mm. energy energy uh consumption is is insane the amount of calories that you burn on a summit day can be in excess of twenty thousand calories just Shit. because of just wow. because of not the time but just because of what's happening physiologically in the body it, it's 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 incredible so the body is basically eating itself it has to when when you're when you're at a, above a certain elevation, and we're talking, let's call it twenty thousand feet and up, and mm -hmm. and it's exponentially worse every every thousand feet. It just gets worse. So, anyways, we're coming down from a twenty three thousand foot mountain. Well, what comes in? This major fog comes in. Okay, with all due respect, I took the wrong way. Instead of going right, I went left, and I'm telling you exactly. I should have gone right to get to where the high camp was, our camp. Instead, I, I went left. So I made, I made a mistake. And this is going back a long time ago, but I made a mistake. We ended up going down into another camp, and then I had to reverse and come back up again. Well, Holy shit. to answer your question, my friend, what am I going to do? I right. have to, was I panicking inside? Absolutely. Absolutely, I was panicking. But <laughs> I had to conceal that. Because I had made a mistake. And if I would have translated my mistake verbally to my client, well, that's when shit would have had 
I would have had to carry this person at some point because there would have been a major breakdown. Right. Okay. So I had to shut up and I had to, I had to act at that point that nothing had gone wrong. This was a mistake on my part. I am human. I am fallible. I have no problem admitting that because we learn from our mistakes and we learn from our failures. Okay. And so anyways, the, the calmer I stayed and as time went on, Javi, as I stayed calm, that calmness built, okay? And then I was be able to get a bearing of where we were because I know this mountain very well. Mm-hmm. And I was able to take that mistake that I made and limit it as opposed to maximizing it. You see what I mean? And right. so long story short, you know, I, I, did, I did take the consumption of my client's energy and I, I expended it by 10 times what I should have. But <laughs> I did stay calm and I shut up uh-huh. and I just said, keep following me. And he's like, I don't remember going this way. I'm like, yeah, no, we're just going another way. You know, you just have, you have to at right. some point, at some point, the choices that you make, did I want to tell him that I made a mistake? Yeah. But was that the best thing in that moment? No, no. Mm. And right. so anyways, um, we ended up getting back to the campsite. Did it take maybe three, four hours more, which is a lot. Oh man, I, that's, it, it happened. And I laugh at it now, but that was, I was under major duress mentally from that choice. I'm like, shit. You know, this is, this is big. And, and I had to stay calm at all points, even for myself. So that way I can find my way back to where I needed to go. I don't, I don't know if you remember this movie, but I just, you kind of just reminded me of this, this movie of Anthony Hopkins. Um, right. He was, is a, is a billionaire. And uh, for some reason he gets stranded with Alec Baldwin. I think it's a 97 movie. I can't really recall. Yes. Yeah. It's going to come to me, but he says something to one of the photographers that, that was there with him that you know why people die in the woods and the, the photographer was like no they die because shame they die of shame for some reason it sticked with me it, just when you were telling me this i'm like yeah. shit i mean it's <laughs> but you kept your cool you, there was no shame you were yeah, kept right. you kept I, your I, cool there was no place for that at that time I, my shame my shame came out when i was alone in my tent you know what I mean? When I was when I was able to come back safely and then I was in my bubble of safety so to that point. You know, then I was like, man, you don't make those mistakes again. You have to make sure that you're more patient. Um, I was probably trying it, it, it was for good reason, Javi, that I made my mistake because I was trying to to expedite my client's descent to a safe, a safe place. Right. Right. So wow, man. I mean, I did have shame, but that was not the time for me to have shame. And so if I would have then my client would have broken down. I would have broken down and that would have been a bad day. That would have been, who knows what would have happened to us because man, the mountains are so massive. Who knows where we would have ended up? Was I confident that I would have found my way? I was, but, but that was, that's a, that's a great movie. Everybody should watch that movie. If you can find out that movie. It's even though McPherson is in that movie. Um, yes. It's, but she, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't act at that much, but there's just a lot of Anthony Hopkins and uh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, but yeah, yeah. very polarized characters in the movie. You yes, know? yes. Yeah. I mean, such a great movie. Stranded in the mountains in uh, I don't know. I think it must have been in Montana or Wyoming or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. But uh, with everything you just said, Mike Tyson said it best. I mean, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and, I got uh, hit hard. <laughs> And that, <laughs> and that shows you. But isn't that life, Javi? How many times have you been hit? I've known you for a long time. Yeah, a long time. Hey, listen, we've known each other a long time, and I've been hit oh. severely. And I still managed to get up and keep at it, keep moving forward. 
you know, and I tell this to everybody, when you fail is when you stop, is when you stop, you know, it, it, because you, because you fall, because you make a mistake, because you, you think you fail, you stop when you, when you choose to stop. But if you keep moving forward, you're not failing, man. You're just, mm. you're just going to learn more about yourself because that's the human condition, Javi. If we aim for perfection, it, it's something we can never be because we're, we're, we're imperfect beings. But what we should be aiming for constantly is higher levels of mastery for ourselves, you know, expecting higher standards of ourselves in all aspects of our life. And so, you know, the world of training, hey, when you see a person with a fit body, you know, they didn't buy it. You know, they worked their ass off for them. And you know, when somebody, when somebody um, comes off a mountain and it could be whatever mountain you, we say it is, but unless you, you come down and you say, you only people that have climbed that mountain before can really truly understand what that person's been through. And you can't buy it. Even though you bought the ticket and you bought the permits and you bought the guiding fees and all that, you know, you, you, you can't buy the actual experience until you've actually taken the steps to go up, successfully summit and come all the way back down safely. You know, when you're at the top of a mountain, you're only 50% up. Yes, and the toughest and the, part sometimes is coming down. That's actually the toughest part. Because a lot of people ask me, it's like, I mean, at the beginning, I remember asking, it's like, wow, does, what does it feel to do an Ironman? And thinking about it, an Ironman at the beginning, is just so personal. And it's, yeah. and the experience, everything is just so personal that I don't, I don't know how to explain it to somebody. Can't. You can't, you, man. I mean, words don't have justice for the experience. So this is where I feel that I've, um, and we can relate to each other in the sense of, okay, we, we grew from this experience. Now let's tackle a bigger one and, and so forth. But it's just the experience that makes you as a person more whole, more rounded in a way that, all right, you know what? The experience is teaching me more than the books. The experience is teaching me more than being in the gym. Of course it is. The experience is teaching me more than going into social media and seeing about this as opposed to actually smelling what it is at night with uh, being in the mountains or just, I don't know, everything. I mean, it's just, uh, you just explain it. Surfing, uh, I, now I can see why surfers go up to you and ask you to train because the, the thing about it is you go around the world and you go to different sets, different waves, different breaks. Mountains are the same because they that. behave in the same way. Nature, there's no telling of nature. There's no telling of where the swell is going to come. What's the one thing that we always say that when you mentor a young coach, let's say, okay. And what, what, what sometimes they're, they're always trying to do. They're trying to get the next certification, the next course theory wise. And what's, what do you, what do they have to do at some point? You got to get in the ditches and you got to actually start seeing people and get down and dirty. And that's really what it comes down to is going, what you just said is with the experience. People really discount what the experience is about. And that's what really teaches you who you are. And then when you understand a little bit more about who you are, then you can start to put the pieces together of that big puzzle called life and start adding a little bit of clarity to your life. So that way you are clear on your progression and where you want to go, but then you can also then help people when, when you're, when you're a mess and you, and you have all these pieces just forced together and it's an unclear picture how are you mm -hmm. expecting that to to help other people and all right. these people out there that are not out there for the experience and and maybe just following people that are actually doing things that's what you can do now you can follow anybody through their lens and you're only seeing a small part of their life okay and it's usually the good part of their life and you see wow that person's amazing because they're doing all these different experiences 
well, what's really stopping you? Get the hell out there and start experiencing things. And, and Javi, when you walk into a gym for the first time, if you've never been in a gym and you get a good coach, what's that person going to do? They're going to watch you move first. They're going to have you do some body weight exercises first, see how the body moves, assess your strengths and weaknesses, and then work with you from there. And the same thing with the mountain climbing world. When you're dealing with nature, be smart about where you're going, be prepared, understand where you're going in the world. Find a good guide. And guess what? You're going to be more prepared for whatever's going to come. And we don't know what that whatever is. We don't know what it is. Yeah. So, hey, listen, I mean, again, everybody has a plan. <laughs> but it's until we get punched in the face. So, Paul, we had this this uh, last three questions. We have I mean, what it's called the endurance corner. Okay. And uh, one of the first questions is just, can you give me a moment in time when endurance played a role in your life that you thought to yourself, man, it's, I'm superhuman. Kind of made you that feeling of superhuman, not that you're superhuman. Yeah. But there's a moment in time that endurance played a role that like, shit, like maybe when you got lost and you're like, you know what? I actually managed to keep my composure and my ability, my endurance ability, my physical ability was still there. My mental composure was still there. Emotionally inside, it was a little bit of a mess. I don't know. What, what do you think? Just give me examples out there. So, I remember, I'll, I'll tell you an exact moment. I was on a big mountain in, um, in, in the Himalayas, just around the, the Kumbu region, which is where Everest is. And it's a more technical mountain than Mount Everest is. So even though it's a lower elevation. Right. And so the one time that I really developed a confidence based on your question on my, on my endurance was, was when I had gotten a little sick the night before. Okay. So I hadn't eaten. I hadn't eaten anything. I remember just a little piece of Melba toast that was all broken into crackers. You know, those Melba right. toast packages. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. right? exactly. Because it was yeah. packed away and, and I would carry it. It was just like little crackers and that's all I was able to eat and, and put down. And I remember we left at about 2 a.m. in the morning to go for the summit. So I'm on, I'm on very little gas and I'm, I'm working my way up to the summit of, of uh, Shishampanga, which is one of the highest mountains in the world. And we, I just remember Javi, all these obstacles, you, you, the, the rock faces I had to climb and climb and carabiner up. And then, you know, the, the, my crampons. And I was just in a, a zone and I felt that the training that I had done led me to this mental zone that what happened was hour after hour, we, we left at 2 a.m. in the morning. I summited at 2 p.m. So that's a 12, that's a 12 hour day, 2 p.m. the next afternoon. Okay. And I remember I was so zoned in, and that's because of the training. I was so zoned in that I didn't even realize I was at the summit. I remember I got to this point, and because of my zone, I was like, okay, where's my next step? And I was looking <laughs> for it, and I couldn't find it because I was at the bloody uh -huh. summit. You uh -huh. know? And then I looked at my right, and I was like, oh my God, I'm actually here. There's that aluminum cross that was bolted into the top of this mountain. That's crazy. And, uh -huh. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, and so I, I look back at that experience and that was really early on in my, in my career because I don't look at it as from a superhuman standpoint to this day or anything like that. Um, I look at that, but that was to answer your question. That was insane. That was all the training that I talked about how I would train back home, the hours and hours I would put on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, not saying it was the smartest program, but the voluminous work that I would put in to create this huge base that I could rest my emotions in, 
mm-hmm. and my mental, my mental choices into, that's where I put it in and it worked, man. And it worked. And if I look back at that, wow, I was, I felt that I, I felt that superhuman and it's a good thing because that adds a confidence to you, especially at an early point in your career right. that you can build upon because when you're confident, you have ability to learn more mm. as a student. Yep. And that's, and that was a big, that was a big uh, springboard for, for me, for sure. Wow. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, I've spoken to so many coaches that they were previously athletes and cause they, as a, as an athlete, I guess you're so more rogue in a way that you're more like, you know what, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to take this risk. So there's a lot of, uh, unknown risk that you're still learning. You're still very green, but then you start getting, you, you become a coach with all your experience and now you start getting all the knowledge from textbooks and all these teachers and some, and I asked them whether that all that knowledge were inter, would interfere with their ability to perform. And the, I mean, the majority of these coaches, they would say, it's like, you know what, if, it, if anything, it enhanced me to become better. And, uh, cause there was this, this talk about the coach's curse, you know, that the yeah. more, you know, the less you're going to be doing. That's right. And, um, uh, but no, it, it depends on how you handle that knowledge and how you, you digest it and how it relates to you that it just makes you into a much better rounded coach. Absolutely. My next question would be, name a person that inspired you just to go that extra mile in your journey. And uh, just why, why that person? <laughs> I mean, somebody that inspired you is like, man, I want to freaking go mountain climbing. Yeah. You know what? Different people at different stages in my life, you know? And so... I remember when, when you're climbing and it kind of goes back to those long summit days. And when you're really asking those questions about, you know, why am I here? I remember it would be like my, my wife or, you know, um, my daughter or something like this. It would be, you know, I have to do it for them as an example of, of what, what I'm doing here. I have to be able to overcome these challenges to be that representation to them. Whether that was a good, whether that was good, this is early back, or this is going mm-hmm. back early, yeah. early on. So it wasn't necessarily anybody that taught me. It was more this, this person that was close to me. And it was like, I need to be strong, even though they weren't there beside me, I need to be strong because this is going to make me the person I am. That's going to represent that to them. Do you see right. what I mean? Right, 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 right. And then from there, it, it, you know, I can say one of the, one of the gentlemen that, that I will always remember in my life, in my, in, in the context of, of climbing was, was a gentleman named Lori Skreslet. And I think Lori is about maybe 70, 80 years old now. He, he was the first Canadian to summit Mount Everest back in 1980. Okay. So he has that distinction of being the first of his, of our country to summit. And I learned so much from him, you know, and he was, he was another person I have to give a lot of credit to because man, I followed that guy all over the world. So when I wanted to learn, I would travel the world just, just being with him. I would take the heaviest loads. I would take the most work and, and, and I was trying to set a good example. So he would give, share with me as much knowledge as he could. I was like, okay, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be the first one up in the camp. I got to be doing work around the camp. I was just, uh, I would just, what do you call it? I was just the, the slave to the camp. Yeah. Well, I would do whatever. Uh, servant. It took. Yeah. I would do whatever <laughs> it took. So that way I could garner as much information from what I thought was this intelligent, wise man. And he had this, he had this way, he was so calm and that's what I always tried to embody too. And so that was, that was another, um, 
another person that went a long way mm. to inspiring me. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what we always have to remember is that we, we, we all go through points in our life where we have to rely on people, you see, mm-hmm. and that's where mentor comes in, um, a friend, family member, and who can you really rely on? And when you can find those people in your tribe, I think that's what they call it these days, your, your community, yeah. then you, you, you can be a stronger person. And so, you know, those, those, the answer I just gave you is, is people that I was looking to as symbols to, to inspire me to keep driving forward when it was not easy to drive forward. I hear you, man. I mean, I totally relate to that. Having that, that image of that person that you see yourself as and having, and then finding such a person is like, yeah. you know what, this is the person I want to model. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but then creating, having that support and, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, so many, so many people I can, I can think of, but so few, I can actually tell you, you know what? Right. In case shit goes south for me, this is the person that's gonna, I'm gonna, Go for it. Why? Because I know he'll answer the phone. And that's basically it. He'll pick, this person will, will pick up and come and get me. Yep. In the times of people, um, when they surrounded death, divorces, uh, bankruptcy, whatever, whatever hardships come to you, it's those people that are there in those moments that you know they're going to be there in the good times too. They got your back. People are always around you in the good times. And, but are they behind the, are they, are they waiting for you to fail? And then when the, when the hardships, hardships come in, then you know when they disappear, that they were waiting for you to fail. And then they're happy that they that you failed because of their this competitive ego that was was happening behind the scenes that you weren't even aware of. You're making them feel at, now at ease that you're at, le- at their level. And my last question, Paul, what piece of advice would you give our listeners? Given all your experience that you've acquired on mountain climbing as a coach, as a father, what advice would you yeah. would you give? Well, um, I already broke, I already talked a little bit about it. And, you know, I apologize to your listeners if they're looking for something profound for me to say, but, you know, in reality, it it really comes down to simple simplicity in life. And so, and so when you can add simplicity to your life, you have a clarity. Okay. And so what piece of advice would I give your listeners uh, about my experience is find good people. So if you're endeavoring to do something, if you're endeavoring to start training, then it's your job to start researching the best person that will train you. You see what I mean? And so this is that support I'm talking about. So it's, it's your job to go out and not just find the first person you talk to, talk to a few different people. And the person that is looking you in the eyes, the person that is listening, truly listening to you, the truly that's in the moment during that conversation is probably going to be the best person that you're going to, that you're going, that's going to be for you at that moment. And that's, what's going to happen in life. You know, as I watch my, my, my kids grow, I'm finding that they go in and out of friendships. But that one friendship at that point in their life led them to another point Mm, in their life and so on, you see. And so that's my advice is take the the initial time. Don't just dive into it. Find, go and start researching who you think is going to be the best person to give you advice. And so I'm not asking, I don't say it for everybody to climb a mountain with me. I'm not for everybody because I'm very truthful in my approach. I'm very blunt Mm -hmm. in my approach because of that because of my, my experience. I don't want to deal with people, my intolerance. And so take your time and find the right mentor that's going to give you the right answers that you're looking for, that's going to help you in your journey. Because when you do that, we expedite time. We, time is the most valuable commodity that we have, okay? So, you know, what do people do? They, 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 they don't have a problem starting. They have a problem sticking with something because mm-hmm. 
They don't start the right way. So can you imagine if you get the right advice, a wise advice, and you start with that right dosage all the time, then you're probably going to continue training. You're probably going to continue a successful journey. So take the time. My biggest piece of it, take the time to find the right people that are going to give you the right advice, that mentor, that, so as me, I wear different hats. When people come to train with me, I'm wearing my strength and conditioning hat. As a coach, as a trainer, whatever you want to call me, when people come to guide, to, to look at the adventure travel world, specifically the mountain, high alpine mountain climbing, I put my guiding hat on and I'm that person. Whether they resonate with that, that's not up to me. I know what I am and I know who I want to work with. And so that's my biggest piece of advice to people is take the time, find the right mentor that's going to help you because when you have that support, man, you're going to be that much more successful. And guess what? They're going to get you results, but they're going to expedite the greatest uh, commodity that you have, and that's time. What value? How valuable is time to us? You can't even put a price on it. Yeah. Nope. You just said it, man. Amen to that. Because I've always said it to my clients that the trainer I am to you, I am your first defense yeah. against anything. I am the first line of defense against you going to a hospital Correct. or getting injured. Oh, man. And uh, you just said it that if you're picking somebody that you're going to be, I'm going to be entrusting you with my health, which if you start programming things that are detrimental to my health, but you put it there anyway, you're putting me at risk. So there's the simplicity of just, I mean, kind of just, you know what, take the time. If is this person responsible with the way you're handling your life is so those are key things in uh, that go again, a long way in your journey. Because you want this to be a journey, not a destination. Paul, I cannot thank you enough for your time with me and with my listeners, sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge. And um, and I can't wait to hook up with you, man, and, and maybe here in Miami or or, uh, or in yeah. Costa Rica or wherever the, the world takes us. Yeah. But uh, it is such long overdue, my friend. Long overdue. Yeah, Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your podcast. It's an honor for, for me to share my experiences, my stories with your with you and your listeners. And uh, and I look forward to the next time we see each other and the next time we do this again. Yes, absolutely. And it's going to be soon. I promise you that much. And let me ask you, any anywhere that listener my listeners want to have uh, contact you, should they be in uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter? What do you go? What do you go for these days? I try to keep. I try to keep it pretty simple. I'm. I'm not on too many platforms. I tend to put my content on Facebook and and Instagram, and that's basically it. They can find me at uh, on Facebook at Paul DeAngelis, and then they can find me on Instagram at at Coach Paul DeAngelis. Okay. And uh, and and then that's that's where I put some. I rant a little bit on some days. I I put. I try to be inspirational on some days. But at the end of the day, what I try and do is I try to share some truths about my journey. And I know that relates to some people. And then that makes me happy because if, if we, we all, we know Javi, if we can, if we can inspire just one person a day, then we're doing an amazing job in this planet. This is what coaches do. That's my how friend. I look at it. And uh, we will we'll put all this in our show notes on, on all your, on all your links. Any, any events, anything that we can know about that you uh, want to share with us or you're good with? Like I said, Mike, the business models, I think we were talking about this before we went live in the podcast. We, I keep my business models very, very small and intimate just because I, that's my approach to life is that you can't have one cookie cutter approach that's going to work for the masses. I agree. Yeah. You, 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 we can only, when, when it comes to coaching, you know, we can't see everything. So if we're working with so many people, 
because we're trying to make as much money as possible, then it, it doesn't work that way and it's only short lived. But if you can set your business model up where you can, you can, you can put the value of what you think you're worth based on the amount of people that you can really have positively affect um, on a daily basis, then you, then you have a right, the right model. So that's what I try and do. Do I have events? Do I, do I travel as much as I used to? Not even close because um, that was, that was an insane whirlwind. All the, all the travels that I did to the four corners of the world, teaching seminars and, and, and traveling even in the mountain climbing world. Now, you have to be able to scale that business up a little bit. So you have to have people that can do these things for you. So, mm. you know, we operate, we operate year round in the mountain climbing world, depending on where you go, we give you advice on when the good time to go and when the not so good time to go is, uh, depending on where you, what you're, what you're looking to do from Kilimanjaro to Peru, to the mountains in, in, in the Himalayas, to the Andes, to wherever you may want to go, Morocco and the Atlas mountains. That's where I started my, my climbing uh, career. And so you, you do all these things to direct people. And that's how my advice comes in to play when, when people contact me. And so my events, yeah, I, I just, I work with people as they need to. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. Man. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you, uh, thank you very, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for our listeners for actually staying and listening to our stories and our knowledge. And with that being said, please don't forget to share this episode with any of your friends that might enjoy this as well. The more you share, not only help me, but you help the podcast itself just get more listeners and get more knowledge and everybody wins. So we are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google, anywhere that you might want to find us, YouTube, you might listen to us. Please subscribe as well and uh, also become a patron. That always helps. Oh, don't, don't forget to uh, download our notes, our show notes. We have all that information that we discussed in this podcast. With that being said, the next Wednesday, we'll see you with a brand new guest, brand new knowledge on endurance from physical, mental, emotional, even spiritual. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for listening to Endurance Cartel. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, subscribe to the podcast and give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Join our cartel by supporting us on Patreon and receive other perks. Hey, why not? Maybe even become a guest. Ah, I almost forgot. Join our website at endurancecartel.com. And if you like, leave us a message with a question or topic that interests you. And we may even feature it on our future episode. You can also find more information about our episodes by visiting our blog and subscribing to our newsletter. That's it for now. We'll see you next time. Same place, same vibes. Be good. Endurance Cartel.